Yoralee squinted carefully down the blue barrel of his Lee Enfield, called the Veltley on Allah, and sent a bullet through the brain of a flying rider. Allo Akbar! The big Afghan shouted in glee, waving his weapon above his head. God is great! By Allah Sahib, I have sent another one of the dogs to hell! His companion peered cautiously over the rim of the sandpit they had scooped with their hands. He was a lean and wiry American, Steve Clarney by name. Good work, old horse, said this person. For left. Look, they're drawing off. The white-robed horsemen were indeed reining away, clustering together just out of accurate rifle range, as if in council. There had been seven when they first swooped down on the comrades, but the fire from the two rifles in the sandpit had been deadly. HPPodcraft.com A desert shootout? What's going on? It's so intense, I feel sick! Wait, a desert shootout? Oh, my stomach hurts! It's so tense! You know, there is one author, <laughs> I think I know who this is, are... Are we tackling a Robert E. Howard story today? Yes, we are! Bam! Bam is right! We are doing it. Robert E. Howard. That which we just heard was the opening of a fine mythos story by that gentleman entitled The Fire of Asurbanipal, a title which I have been entirely unable to recollect all week. I've been calling it The Fire of Asmanimal. <laughs> this morning I thought, I was like, what is it? The Fire Crash Bandicoot? Oh. But it's none of those things. It's The Fire of Asurbanipal, and we are talking about it here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com, I am Chris Lackey. And I am Chad Pfeiffer. Ashurbanipal was an Assyrian king, mm-hmm. the son of Esarhaddon, and the last strong king of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which lasted from 934 to 609 BC. So a few years ago, the story, it's a pretty retro story. <laughs> I'll hit you with some more information. Okay. Ashurbanipal is famed for amassing a significant collection of cuneiform documents for his royal palace at Nineveh. Oh, yeah. This collection, known as the Library of Ashurbanipal, is now housed at the British Museum. Oh, whoa. Which also holds the famous Lion Hunt of Ashurbanipal's set of Assyrian palace reliefs. So that's something oh, wow. you could go check out. I've been there. I just haven't seen those. It's a big place. It's a pretty big place. None of this really has too much bearing on the story we're about to read, but that is where Mr. Howard is grabbing the information from for the title, some of the history. Uh, just like our reader grabbed the audience's attention. Yeah, who was that reader? That reader was Eric Weatherington, a friend of the show and a uh, friend to all mankind, really. Eric actually suggested that we read this story, and so we said, hey, man, if you like it that much, why don't you come over here and read it? Smarty pants. And uh, he did, which is fantastic. So thanks, Eric. Thank you so much. So good. Hey, here's another thing I'd like for listeners to perhaps put in their ears. Mm. Uh, I wanted to announce a new album release from, yeah! from yours truly. This is something a little different than the other albums I've released on chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com, mm-hmm. where you can still pick up the soundtracks to this show. Still available, always available. But the new album is called Fear Boys with Bugs. Oh, whoa, wait. I know that yeah you do uh, it's the band, band that you had like in the early mid 90s in the, yep that's right mid late 90s i was a, a mopey musician recently relocated to los angeles and and i was a one-man band now the album is a collection of 13 punk rock lo-fi electronic songs from that period you know i moved out here with just a suitcase to come live with you you did all, all the songs i i played there i was using borrowed equipment or things i could crib from folks it's mostly recorded on a four track it's goofy stuff, but I think it's good fun. Yeah. I'll play some samples on our outros this month as we rock through the Robert E. Howard. And if you deem it worth your time, please go over to chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com and pick it up. Fear Boys with Bugs. I, I can't wait to hear it because, Chad, I'm familiar with those songs and I love them then. Yes. And I can't wait to hear what you did, like remastering wise, uh, to, to hear that stuff. I'm just so excited. I can't wait. I remastered them as well as I can, but they were recorded on cassette tapes. <laughs> 
in, in, in the 20th century. So, yeah. you know, but hey, sometimes people try and make their music sound that way on purpose these days. So I think, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the kids may have something to learn from uh, Fear Boys with Bugs. We got a comment on our last show from Ionolus Rosius. That's the handle. Oh. Uh, and when we were finishing up the time machine and the comment said this great month. I think he did a really good job covering this fantastic novel. I didn't really need to to say that, but I just made you feel good, so I thought I'd repeat it. I eagerly, I eagerly await your episodes on the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, we will do those. Yes, we will. Yeah, we will. Almost as eagerly as I wait, I await more Robert E. Howard. Uh-huh. If you do Robert E. Howard stories the whole month of July, you should obviously call it Thew Lie. Which I thought was pretty funny, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's always talking about those iron thews that Conan has. Well, as a matter of fact, we are going to do Robert E. Howard all month. So it it is indeed Thew Lie. Thank you for that. It is Thew Lie. <laughs> uh, also in that comment, fun fact about the fire of Ashurbanipal. The name of the evil wizard, Zulfultan, yeah. is the same as the name of the evil village in the Black Stone, which I believe you've covered before. Oh, it is. It is, yeah. And we did cover it. That's right. And like the Black Stone, next week's story also involves a big scary toad monster. Sorry for the spoiler. Oh, my God. Coincidence? lazy writing or a clue to some deeper connection. I guess we'll find out. Let's get into the action. The story starts off with a Pakistani Muslim man named Yar Ali and an American called Steve. I just like calling him Steve because Steve's my dad's name. I know. I'm imagining Steve Lackey the whole time. (laughs) They're having a shootout with some uh, Bedouins, nomadic Arab fellas. Uh, Yar Ali and Steve drive them off but uh, they are low on bullets and supplies and they know that these guys are going to come back with more dudes. Yeah, they're not running away like they're scared. Yarali says they ride after more of their kind. They are hawks who give up their prey, not quickly. Howard is using all this hawk and bird imagery when describing the Bedouins. Yeah. Right at the top, he says, Ali sent a bullet through the brain of a flying rider. And I thought at first, wait a minute, are they fighting guys on some dragons or something? Yeah, some me too. Of, I did. <laughs> are these like scientists on some modified alligators that they're, they're wrestling <laughs> with? No, you pre- I pretty quickly figured out that they were they were on horseback, but he's yeah, he's really true. selling that that hawk and bird imagery here. Right, right. So Steve has three bullets left while Yar only has one. They're in a tight situation, not knowing when those raiders are going to be back. Uh, at this point, Steve mentally reviews the chain of events that led them here so we can figure out what's going on. But this is classic Howard. You know, he starts the big action scene to hook us. Yep. This is not a bunch of guys in a drawing room saying, oh, give me another cup of tea and perhaps I'll tell you a story. It's like, no. <laughs> shoot, shoot, run, run, desert. It's awesome. So we've got this odd couple. Partners in adventures. They came up from India through Turkestan and are now in Persia, which is modern day Iran. Yar Ali is obviously more adept at desert travel. This is where he's from. He drinks less water. But Steve isn't your typical American either. Howard lets us know he's hard and tough as a wolf. Wolf. Yes. <laughs> Ding. That's one point, because animal reference. (laughs) That's right. There's a lot of them in here. Tough as a wolf. Oh, there's a ton of them. Howard's writing, he reminds me of like when I used to teach drama classes for kids. And the first day, we'd always get everybody on the floor pretending to be animals. That was like the exercise. (laughs) And it seems silly, but it's a cool way to find a physicality maybe for a character. And I feel like that's what Howard is constantly doing in his writing, you know. Oh, that's his yeah, that's his that. go-to way to figure out what people are like. He's like a snake. He's like a lizard. That one's like a chinchilla. Got it. <laughs> the adventurers are looking for some kind of big score. They don't really know what specifically. It's very vague. So they just kind of are up for adventuring, hoping to get something cool. Yeah, they were questing for some vague and undiscovered treasure, some pot of gold at the foot of some yet unborn rainbow. But it, it does seem like a lot of danger and deprivation for no specific purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I were Steve, I'd just hit the convenience store in my pajama pants every day and play the lotto. There you go. Just as effective. 
When they're in Shiraz, a city in Iran, they heard about the legend of the fire of Ashurbanipal. Now, this trader heard it from a guy whose cousin's girlfriend's sister was friends <laughs> with a pearl diver who knew about the legend. So the guy says that out in the desert, far west, there was this dead city of black stone where a skeleton sat on a throne with a flaming gem in his cold, dead hand. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty credible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So he was too scared to take it, this guy that actually went there. It had evil vibes and all that. But he was chased out by some Bedouins, was wounded, and he died soon after telling his tale. Right. He choked out, there's a city that's evil, and then that he croaked. Yeah, they said they believed it to be an ancient, ancient city of evil spoken of in the Necronomicon by the mad Arab Alhazred, the city of the dead on which an ancient curse rested. Legends named it vaguely. The Arabs called it Baled al-Jin, the city of devils, and the Turks, Karashur, the black city. Yes, the black city. So we are firmly back in the Lovecraft firmament. We've got the Necronomicon, Al-Hezred, this terrible city of devils. I love it. Uh, Steve and Ali are... You know, I'm going to call him Ali because I know that Ali is a given Pakistani name. Okay. Your first name. So like, hey, I'm Ali. But I've never heard of Yar. Like I couldn't find it as a family name or given name. Well, there's there's Tasha Yar from Star Trek. (laughs) Is she Pakistani? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Yar is also a boating adjective. I don't know if you knew that, but you say that boat is Yar means the boat is easy to handle. It's fast. Oh, so maybe it's a nickname. Maybe he's like Fast Ali. Anyway, uh, they think this story sounds great. This is an adventure for us. Let's go out in the desert and see if we can find this black city. Yes. So they find the Pearl Divers village and ask him about this guy who came out of the the place. He gives them just a bit more detail and they decide that they're going to go do it. Right. So days of hot travel in the desert, in the hot sun, they get ambushed by the Bedouins. That is where we are in the story. Yes, the white-clad hawks had swooped down on them. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> now they're low on food and water, and they have very little ammo, and the whole idea is feeling pretty stupid now. Yeah. Steve says, well, old horse. Ding! Let's get... <laughs> Let's get going. It's a toss-up if we die of thirst or we get sniped off by the Desert Brothers. Anyway, we're doing no good here. So he's like, eh, we're going to die anyway, so let's go try and find the the cool gem. The Desert Brothers are my favorite uh, record producers these days. (laughs) Putting out some good stuff. (laughs) They got started in the whole drum and bass thing, right? Yeah, they did, yeah. Jungle music. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Ali sees some strange broken hills to the south, and they decide that they're going to go that way. And maybe they'll find some water there. It gets dark, and they have to walk through the darkened desert with the moon shining on the sand. Yeah, and it's a it's a great passage. It says, The moon rose, flooding the desert with weird silver light. Drifted sand glimmered in long ripples, as if a sea had suddenly been frozen into immobility. The desert was beautiful beneath the moon, with the beauty of a cold marble Lorelei to lure men to destruction. By the way, Lorelei, I had to look that up. Because I'm familiar with the name, Lorelai. But it's, it's a feminine water spirit, similar to a siren or mermaid, which is rumored to send sailors to their death. Oh, geez. I wonder why you would name your kid Lorelai. <laughs> Isn't that the Lorelai Gilmore? Is the Gilmore Girls? I don't know why you'd I name somebody. I think so, yeah, I know, yeah. What a mad quest, his weary brain reiterated. The fire of Ashurbanipal retreated into the mazes of unreality with each dragging step. The desert became not merely a material wasteland, but the gray mists of the lost eons, in whose depths dreamed sunken things. Love it. They get to this broken area with hills and little valleys, but they only find the valleys filled with sand. No water. They swung on like dead men in a gray land of death. They are exhausted, hungry, and thirsty. They decide to rest, and Ali says he'll take the first watch, and Steve is like, 
why bother? If they're actually chasing us, which I don't think they are, they'd be doing us a favor by killing us in our sleep. <laughs> it's a better way to go than dehydration, obviously. Yeah. Just as Steve is nodding off, Yar Ali says that there's something to the south, but Steve, you know, just thinks he's seeing things. Steve has pretty much given up at this point. Steve wakes up first in the morning and he sees to the south there's some weird looking rock formation thing. And he wakes up Yar and he says, dude, that's no rock formation. That's a city of the gin. It's what we've been looking for. What? <laughs> I like this part. Uh, Ali wakes up and said, The Afridi woke as a wild thing wakes, instantly and completely, his hand leaping to his long knife as he glared about for enemies. <laughs> People are waking up like animals even. <laughs> but yeah, they're spot- uh, they've spotted the what they think is the city. Yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, he saw great uneven walls, massive battlements, all about clawed the sands like a living sensate thing drifted high about the walls, softening the rugged outlines. No wonder at first glance the hole had appeared like a hill. So Steve jumps up and says, let's go, while Yarly is like, mm, I don't know, man, kind of got an evil juju vibe going. Yeah. But he still goes anyway. I mean, you know, come on, this is what the guy signed up for. Exactly. The city seemed built of huge blocks of black stone, but how high the walls had been there was no telling because the sand had drifted high about their bases. So, you know, maybe this is a, a giant creature city. Yeah. The sun is hot in the sky and they're totally dying of thirst, but they keep going to the Black City and they make it there by the afternoon. There isn't much left in the city. Lots of broken buildings, just walls mostly. Mm. Uh, everything's covered in piles of sand and just bits sticking out. There's also these huge columns that are still standing as well. Atop of them are sculptures of creatures, half man, half beast. Never a good sign. <laughs> Steve calls them the Bulls of Nineveh, which makes him think the Assyrians built the city. And then he points out another building, a colossal brooding edifice whose columns and walls of solid black stone blocks defied the winds and sands of time. The drifting, obliterating sea washed about its foundations, overflowing into its doorways. So Ali says, abode of the devils, to which Steve says, the temple of Baal. And Baal actually just means Lord. That really confused me because I thought it was a Christian thing. Well, see, here you go. It came to be used by the Abrahamic religions to mean a demon or a devil. Okay. But the name eventually came to be used to describe other gods like Hadad and El. But eventually Baal uh, comes his own guy. I see. Yeah, it's it's very complicated how these legends and myths and right. religions change over time. And they crib from one another, so it was just exactly. a word that they pulled from a different... Gotcha, okay. A demonic god, I think, is what Howard means by that. Yes. <laughs> Steve wants to go and try to find the gem, but Ali is like, man, who cares? We're going to die here. And Steve's like, yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if we found it before we die and then some other dude will find it in our hands? <laughs> and then Ali is like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. It would be cool. So they drink the last of their water and off they go. That would be an interesting funeral service to offer, you know. <laughs> we have burial, cremation. <laughs> we can stick your skeleton in the corner over there with a jewel in your hand. It's all very tasteful. <laughs> your choice. Uh, oh, they go to the main temple, which still has its ceiling, held up by great pillars. Ali is a bit dubious about going in, but, you know, in for a penny. Mm. So there are no footprints. This place has been untouched for a very long time. And the columns inside are enormous, like giant tree trunks. It says the whole effect of the architecture was one of awesome magnitude and sullen, breathtaking splendor, like a temple built by somber giants for the abode of dark gods. As they walk into the temple, Steve wonders about this place. How did they build this? Yeah. They wouldn't have the resources to make a city as amazing as this place. So what caused the downfall? 
he thinks to himself. Right. It was it the Sands? Was it a civil war? This information is totally lost to the ages. Nobody's ever going to know. So as they walk through the temple, they come to a, an altar and a statue, which Steve thinks is Baal. Mm -hmm. It's horrible and bestial. He wonders how different the people of this place were to worship a god like that. The idol embodied in his utter abysmal and sullen bestiality the whole soul of this demoniac city. Surely, thought Steve, the builders of Nineveh were cast in another mold from the people of today. Their art and culture were too ponderous, too grimly barren of the lighter aspects of humanity to be wholly human, as modern man understands humanity. Hmm. Kind of interesting to think of. I mean, yeah. our gods are a little nicer, a little friendlier. Sure. I was thinking of this, too, how in the ancient world, these massive structures that were built over generations by slaves, they were so impressive to the people of that time that you could really sell that your leaders were descended from God. Sure, yeah. Because it's just astounding to look at these enormous structures, whereas in the modern world, we see massive structures every day, even if you're not in the city. We drive on them, yeah. and it's really just not that big of a deal. You don't feel that sense of awe and wonder when you look up at a building. You just think, like, I hope they have a snack shack down in the lobby. Coffee cart, something, yeah, you know. Something. I want to get a latte there. Uh, <laughs> they come to a massive staircase going up, and Ali is like, dude, gins hang out upstairs of places. Common knowledge. <laughs> gins, they always want that cool attic room. That's what they do. <laughs> I guess it is. I don't know. I don't yeah. know much about uh, jinn mythology. Well, Ali does. And he says, we go up there and they will bite our heads off. And Steve is like, dude, we're dead already. Having a jinn bite your head off would be like the second coolest way to die. <laughs> you can stay here, but I'm going upstairs. Again, Ali shorter shrugs and he you know, goes up with him. Mm -hmm. They get to this circular chamber with beams of light coming in through holes in the roof. Very cool looking. Yes. And there at the top of a stone dais is a marble throne. And on it is slumped a human skeleton. And in its hand is a great crimson stone. Holy cow, they <gasps> found the fire of Azurbanipal. This setting, man, every Robert E. Howard story feels like a D&D &D adventure. Totally. You know, I mean, there is nothing more D&D &D than this scene. The chamber <laughs> with the skeleton with the gem. I could just taste the potato chips as I'm uh, mm, reading. Mountain Dew. Mm -hmm. Steve goes to grab it, but Ali stops him. He says, yo, dog, <laughs> these things have curses. A curse might be worse than death. So why don't we just leave this? And then I think, why are you bringing this up now, dude? <laughs> the whole quest, like weeks and maybe even months of planning have been to get this stone. And just now he goes, yeah, why is maybe he, it'll be cursed. Why is he suddenly all weird about it? I think he never, I mean, he didn't really actually think they were ever going to find it. All right. He just likes hanging out with Steve. Okay, yeah. You know, this is like being, you know, it's like you arrive at the theme park and you're kind of disappointed that the road trip is over. I can see that. But he really is genuinely concerned about touching that jewel. And Steve is like, superstitions and ali says bro that thing ain't natural what is it no such gem as this was ever cut by mortal hands look how it throbs and pulses like the heart of a cobra and i'm thinking oh yeah that's a great metaphor everybody knows what a cobra heart looks like <laughs> it's one of the first things you learn in school steve felt the creep yeah. when he looked at this thing he kind of goes well maybe actually he's right about this there's something weird about this stone but then he goes you know what i came too far to just leave it so i want it and then ali goes stop ali's spider sense is kicking off yeah. the spider sense that has saved him many times in the past and it's going off tenfold see he feels something too and he knows that yar's oriental telepathic instinct <laughs> as he calls it was the real deal or spider sense as we call it nowadays exactly well, it saved them before. He says, I f as I felt it in a jungle cavern where a python lurked unseen in the darkness, as I felt it in the temple of Thuggy where the hidden stranglers of Shiva crouched to spring upon us, as I feel it now. But he knows something's around, and so he's looking around with wolf-like fear and suspicion. 
<laughs> and then suddenly they hear a sound of feet coming through the temple and what everybody's mind goes to when you would hear a bunch of feet in a temple <laughs> running ghost army ghost army of some kind that's exactly it's what i was thinking <laughs> or it could be that army of uh, native, Amer- native american ghosts remember from that lovecraft oh, right. story uh, yes. he, the cosplay story. all right yeah oh geez but no, it's not a ghost army. It is the Bedouins. Mm-hmm. They actually did follow them, and they weren't as superstitious as they thought. There's a big, long scene of our duo kicking ass. Ali takes the dude out with his last bullet, and then he gets his kyber knife, which is three foot long. Mm-hmm. Kind, of, kind of a sword. Not really a knife if it's three foot long, no. in my opinion. And then he just kills a bunch of dudes. Steve shoots a few dudes. It's awesome. And I mean, there's some tigerish quickness that's going on in there, mm-hmm. and there's some bad guys screaming like panthers. I, I, st- I go screaming like panthers. Usually you got people moving like panthers. What is it? Screaming like panthers? It's kind of like... Like that. Is that how it is? All right. Yeah. You know, Panthers were, they were our high school mascot. That's true, man. UTHS Panthers. I, which is a lot cooler now that I, I wonder if that was a nod to Howard. Because <laughs> it was always weird when you'd hear the fight song at football games and it was like, we're going to get the jewel from the skeleton. We're going to fight with Iron Thews. You know, I didn't get it at the time. Uh, yeah. Now that you're singing it at this point, it, it makes sense to me. Anyhow, there's not much more to say about the scene other than it's great. Conan-esque bloody brawling. There's an awesome cinematic scene where Steve has to make a difficult choice. And now, as he prepared to expend his last cartridge, Clarny saw two things in one flashing instant. A wild warrior who, with froth on his beard and a heavy scimitar uplifted, was almost upon him. And another who knelt on the floor drawing a careful bead on the plunging Yara Lee. Steve made an instant choice and fired over the shoulder of the charging swordsman killing the rifleman and voluntarily offering his own life for his friends, for the scimitar was swinging at his own head. But even as the Arab swung, grunting with the force of the blow, his sandaled foot slipped on the marble steps, and the curved blade, veering erratically from its arc, clashed on Steve's rifle barrel. In an instant, the American clubbed his rifle, and as the Bedouin recovered his balance and again heaved up the scimitar, Clarney struck with all his rangy power, and stock and skull shattered together. Yes. Wow. But right at that moment, that's when he gets shot. Bam, right into Steve's shoulder. Steve gets it. However, there are more of them. Our heroes get overpowered. Yeah. Just as a dude is about to bash in Steve's brains, a voice commands him to stop. He says, slay him not, but bind him hand and foot. Uh-huh. After killing some dudes in a badass fashion, <laughs> Ali is also overpowered. Yeah, he cuts a guy's arm off, which is awesome. The leader of them isn't a Bedouin. He asks Steve if he recognizes him. You know, he goes, do you recognize me? And Steve <laughs> goes, no, I don't. Oh, he does recognize him. It's Nureddin El Mekru. And he does some good villain talk here. He says, I am honored. The Sahib remembers. Nureddin salamed mockingly. And you remember, no doubt, the occasion in which you made me a present of this. The dark eyes shadowed with bitter menace, and the Sikh indicated a thin white scar on the angle of his jaw. Steve remembers who this guy is. This guy was a slave trader, and one of his slaves escaped, and Steve took the the slave in. And it's like, hey, yeah, you can stay with me. I'll protect you. And this uh, Nureddin guy shows up, and he goes, hey, I want my slave back. And Steve just, you know, kicked his ass and cut his face. He did. And nothing works better as shorthand for who the hero is and who the villain is than a slaving situation. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve wants to know 
what he's doing in this part of the world. And Redden gives his updated resume. <laughs> he says, uh, oh, I quit the slave trading long ago. It's a outworn game. I, I led a band of thieves in Yemen for a time. And then again, I was forced to change my location. And I came here with a few faithful followers. And by Allah, those wild men nearly slipped my throat at first. But I overcame their suspicions. And now I lead more men than have followed me in years. That's right. He went from being a, a lone guy to being a, the polyphonic spree. He's got a huge team. <laughs> <laughs> the guys they fought before were scouts, and those scouts had uh, followed them. The Bedouins would have been afraid to enter, but of course, Nureddin likes to say, I ain't no Bedouin. He's not superstitious. Nureddin says, I kept you alive because I have some plans for you back at the Oasis. It's time for me to go and uh, take that stone. Yeah. One of his men warns him. He goes, hey, that stone's bad juju. You probably shouldn't mess with it. And then... Another Bedouin says, you know, yeah, that's probably a really bad idea. And they all just kind of are all in agreement. Yeah. Nureddin's too cocky. And essentially, this is kind of like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Yeah. Got the characters tied up. The bad guys are a little too cocky. And they're going to fool around and unleash some magic mayhem. Nureddin says, the curse is laid on infidels who invade the city, not on the faithful. See, in this chamber, we have overcome our coffer foes. This older Bedouin guy says, The curse is more ancient than Muhammad, and wrecks not of race or creed. Evil men reared this black city in the dawn of the beginnings of days. They oppressed our ancestors of the black tents and warred among themselves. Aye, the black walls of this foul city were stained with blood and echoed to the shouts of unholy revel and the whispers of dark intrigues. So he knows that this city's been around much longer than they had suspected. And we're about to get some backstory on this whole jewel deal from the, this older Bedouin. He says uh, there was this magician in the court of Assurbanipal who went into a dark place where dark things dwelt and came back with this gem. There was a demon that guarded the gem, but he put a spell on it and made it kind of go to sleep so he could steal it. And this ma magician, as you said at the top, is uh, Zuthultan. Magician Zuthultan had power with the stone to be able to see into the future. Unfortunately, he didn't see this part in the future because the demon wakes up and comes to the city of stone. Well, we don't we don't know that. It says evil came upon the kingdom and the people said, "It's the curse of that jewel." But it could have just been they were having a bad crop or bad year. Sure. And they blamed the jewel for that because he had some spell on this monster. So Aster Banderpool told him to give it back, but he fled to Karshahir, but the king there tortured, which is here, which is actually where they're at, tortured yeah. the wizard to death. That king that watched him die in the room is the king that still sits in that throne with right. the gem. But killing him was a bad idea because he was the only one binding the monster. And as Zuthultan died, it says that he cursed the stone whose magic had not saved him. He shrieked aloud the fearful words which undid the spell that had put upon the demon in the cavern and set the monster free. And crying out on the forgotten gods, Cthulhu yes. and Koth and Yog sothoth and all the pre-Adamite dwellers in the black cities under the sea and the caverns of the earth, he called upon them to take back that which is theirs, and with his dying breath pronounced doom on the false king, and that doom was that the king should sit on his throne holding in his hand the fire of Asurbanipal until the thunder of judgment day. Uh, the stone screamed like a living thing and a black cloud came out of the floor and from the cloud came this thing with fearsome paws that touched and shriveled the king. Everyone either fled the city or died and he still sits on the throne. Look, paws. It, they're the best because <laughs> they're so cute. Little paws. Then look out! There's claws in there. You didn't see them. <laughs> but so Ren is like, wait, those dudes, the, the Franks, they came in here and they didn't die. But the old guy, he goes, they didn't touch the stone. Yeah, he's, he's saying like, look, just because you didn't die so far... 
it's touching the stone that's going to cause it. So don't let that right. be evidence that you're safe. Nureddin, again, is not superstitious. He's going to be like, I'm taking it. Nureddin sees the stone. A shuddery wail broke from the Arabs, cut through by a sharp, inhuman cry. To Steve, it seemed horribly that the great jewel had cried out like a living thing. The stone slipped from the sheikh's hand. Nureddin might have dropped it. To Steve, it looked as though it leaped convulsively, as a live thing might leap. It rolled from the dais, bounding from step to step, with Nureddin springing after it, cursing as his clutching hand missed it. It struck the floor, veered sharply, and despite the deep dust, rolled like a revolving ball of fire toward the back wall. Nureddin was close upon it. It struck the wall. The sheikh's hand reached for it. A scream of mortal fear ripped the tense silence. Without warning, the solid wall had opened. Out of the black wall that gaped there, a tentacle shot and gripped the sheikh's body as a python girdles its victim and jerked him headlong into the darkness. And then the wall showed blank and solid once more. Only from within sounded a hideous, high-pitched muffled screaming that chilled the blood of the listeners. Howling wordlessly, the Arab stampeded, jammed in a battling screeching mass in the doorway, tore through, and raced madly down the wide stairs. Now remember, our guys are tied and lying on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked at the wall, and then they heard the sound of the stone or metal kind of sliding open. Steve, he looked in for a second, but Yar closes his eyes. Yeah, he knows better. And then Steve also closes his eyes. He had only seen, Steve had only seen what might have been the glitter of monstrous eyes, and that was enough. I'm going to do what Ali's doing. Steve felt this thing move over towards them, and he felt its breath on him, and he prayed that not touching the gem would save his and Ali's life. Mm-hmm. The presence then leaves, and then they hear the stone slide close again. Then Yarly tells him, he goes, stay still. I can bite through these ropes. And then he does. Yeah. He bites through the ropes. Yar's a badass. He must be getting good dental care if his teeth are strong enough to do that. Yeah. You know, this isn't a guy that neglects his teeth. No, no. That's something we just learned about him. As they get up, they see all the carnage that was there before, but the Bedouins are gone, the other ones. Uh, He asks Ali where they went, and he's like, dude, were you not here when the monster came out of the wall? And Steve says, oh, no, no, that was just a nightmare. It wasn't real. The stone is back in the skeleton's hand, but on the ground next to it is Nureddin's severed head. (gasps) The head is grinning, which is super creepy. Also, in the thick dust of the floor, three spores showed. One of the sheiks where he had followed the red jewel and had rolled to the wall and above to two other sets of tracks, Coming in on the throne and returning to the wall, vast shapeless tracks as of splayed feet, taloned and gigantic, neither human nor animal. So Steve fails his sanity check at this point <laughs> and just runs out of the place. Ali follows, but things are looking up for them because the Bedouins left the horses and supplies of the men that they had killed. The other Bedouins, you know. Yeah. So, yay. Yeah, they got food and water and guns. It's like winning the lotto in your pajama pants. <laughs> Dreams are coming true. And off they go with the horses out of the city. As they ride away, Steve admits he peeked. Oh, what a horrible peep it was. I looked, the American said somberly. I wish I had not. I know I'll dream about it for the rest of my life. I had only a glance. I couldn't describe it as a man describes an earthly thing. God help me, it wasn't earthly. or sane either. Mankind isn't the first owner of the earth. There were beings here before his coming, and now, survivals of hideously ancient epics. 
Maybe spheres of alien dimensions press unseen on this material universe today. Sorcerers have called up sleeping devils before now and controlled them with magic. It is not unreasonable to suppose an Assyrian magician could invoke an elemental demon out of the earth to avenge him and guard something that must have come out of hell in the first place. I'll try to tell you what I glimpsed, then we'll never speak of it again. It was gigantic and black and shadowy. It was a hulking monstrosity that walked upright like a man, but it was like a toad too, and it was winged and tentacled. I saw only its back. If I'd seen the front of it, its face, I'd have undoubtedly lost my mind. The old Arab was right. God help us. It was the monster that Zultan called up out of the dark blind caverns of the earth to guard the fire of Assurbanipal. Woo! And that is the end. That is the end. Yeah, Howard delivers the goods, as always. A rollicking adventure. I want to thank Eric for recommending it. Yes, I loved this story. It was so cinematic and action-packed, and it was exactly the kind of summer fair I was looking for Yeah. in doing a month of Robert E. Howard. And we're going to continue next week with a story called Dig Me No Grave. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, it's got a cool-sounding title. Dig Me No Grave by Robert E. Howard. That's what we're covering next week. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, I am Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey, and you've been listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. And I'm just going to play us out with a quick track from the new Fear Boys with Bugs album. Again, that's available at chadpfeiffer.bandcamp.com. Uh, this track might be a little suggestive for younger listeners, if you want to tune it off now. It's the opening track of the album called She Used to Work in Porno. HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>